Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. I do want to have a, a powerful impact on the world. I want to make things better. That's that's all I really care about is, is really leaving a, a, a legacy of inspiration. The person you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, Indrani. She's an award-winning director, photographer, and social justice advocate. But first, me, Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver. I still have to read it off you the do. page. That's good. <laughs> We're talking about the power of art to change the world. And this woman can actually do it. She walks the walk all over the planet. All that and more in this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. I almost feel like we're not worthy today with our guest. It's <laughs> tough. <laughs> I feel so inadequate when I read the bio of Indrani and and it's the like, well, people. Well, I usually work with David Bowie or Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce. But today, Lady Gaga or Mother Teresa, or Mother right? Teresa. One of those or she Mariah like, Carey. When she was two or three or four, she was out with Mother Teresa, like just cruising, I guess, just looking for people who needed help. Just out for a good time. On the I Saturday imagine night. that did instill in her a sense of the need for change, the ability to help other people globally, because a lot of social justice advocacy exists in her work today, in addition to her celebrity work. If you don't know who we're talking about, it'll sound like we're making all this up. I mean, she's a photographer, she's a filmmaker. She's a model. Uh, has done modeling, has uh, has opened her several uh, charitable foundations all over the world, including her home of India, where she is originally from, but went to Princeton, goes back and lectures there. Right, le I lectures mean, at college. Um, we should just get up and give her the show. We yeah, should just leave this the, the Andrade show room yeah. and let her do all the heavy lifting. Uh, I want to hear about the influence she had uh, or the influence that David Bowie and Iman had on her. Yeah, uh, She has great uh, stories to tell about working with Beyonce, well, it feels like she's kind of part of a new breed, I hope, of people who find a way to do their truly creative work. And she she works with brands, she works with artists, and then she works with with charities. And she does so she really spreads doesn't see these divisions. It seems like across these uh, types of work, and David, so being effective in the world that way, it's like. Wow, she's getting a lot done. It seems like she brings like Pepsi, L'Oreal to the, the present bring, day, to real and and gets them to contribute to some of these. And so, is she an artist first? Is she an advocate first? How do the two live together? Uh, does the photographer ever start shooting what the filmmaker would prefer to be doing? Uh, mm. She's done music videos uh, with Mariah Carey with. Uh, all kind Beyonce we talked about, uh, and she's 
hung, represented at the National Portrait Gallery. First woman of color in the Smithsonian's permanent collection. And that's that's the Beyonce shot. I'm actually really curious. I mean, we all have album art that we remember that is just as important to us as the songs on the album. And as someone who's done a David Bowie album cover, a Beyonce album cover, I I wonder what it's like to go through that creative process. Well, not just any Beyonce album cover. That's the first record, right? Yeah. The movie should be about but to, her. to go from that and not to say, okay, what's the next rock star I can work with? Right. Or what's the next... It's like, no, okay, I'm going back to India yeah. to like help starving children. Yes. It's amazing. She's also got uh, a concert event kind of thing happening in the fall in Los Angeles. We will hear all about that. Uh, and we're going to get uh, the lowdown on how someone can do so many things so effectively. I'm curious to know whether... Uh, she thinks enough celebrities walk the walk. You know, there's so many stars that say, oh, I'm in this charity and I do that for that thing. Uh, I wonder if that annoys her. I want to know that. Uh, Celebrities and and artists as well, because we do have a responsibility, people that identify as artists and people that are celebrities, to try and elicit social change. And she's actually doing it, which is rare. I feel like it's rare. But maybe there's value to putting your name on something, knowing that more eyeballs will see it because it's celebrity endorsed. Well, that's the that, that's what they tell us. That's what the celebrities would argue uh, as they're opening their giant gift bag. From, I like that you drew that line between artists and celebrities. I mean, <laughs> over here you have the artists. <laughs> there's obviously some. Ben well, diagram. you talk about David Bowie and you talk about Lady Gaga or uh, Beyonce, and you're definitely in that realm where this person is famous for a reason. This is not someone who is you're annoyed. You're like. Why is that person famous? Like, who they like? Okay, no, the talent is just flying out of them um, <laughs> in a very obvious way. Wait, I left out the United Nations. She's also working oh, with them. Just so <laughs> that's just the United Nations. She must be, and I want to ask her about this. Very excited that we are planning trips now to other planets because she will go there and raise money for them. <laughs> right. she, she's exhausted planet Earth. She's headed uh, there. She's done all the, the good there is to do. <laughs> She's done a lot of good, but in the meantime, she's uh, with the good for nothing. Here, uh, David, (laughs) Scott, and I on the Accutron Show right after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Indrani, welcome to this little thing we call the Accutron Show. And we we try to weed out the the guests that haven't done very much in their lives. And I don't know how you snuck through. Uh, we've spent the first uh, 10 minutes of this show, and we only got through like half of your resume. So I guess the first question is, when did you know you wanted to be an advocate versus an artist? Well, I've always been drawn to both, but uh, from a very, very young age, literally as as young as I could, uh, as old as I needed to be to walk, um, I spent time with Mother Teresa, with my parents volunteering with her. And so I got to see the power that even a very small person could have, you know, brightening the day of someone who's dying or you know, spending time at the orphanage with other kids that that really lacked that human connection. That's like starting with Michael Jordan if you want to play 
hoops so on the weekends. I mean, how do you, where do you go with your advocacy after Mother Teresa? It, it sort of explains how this life of yours has, has turned out, but, or is turning out. Uh, but then where is the artist? What's the first time you said, I'm picking up a camera and I want to shoot something, video or uh, still? I started photography when I was about six or seven in India as well. And really, it was the process of becoming an immigrant that instilled the value of images for me because I left behind everyone that I loved, everyone that I knew, and I didn't think I'd ever see them again. So those images took on this huge value for me. I spent so many hours staring at every detail of the people that I loved and missed. And uh, and then it was a just a, a small step from that to wanting to record my world. And, and, and perhaps it was a, a fear of losing those whom I love that, that uh, got me into creating portraits. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discovered the power of art to change people's perspectives and to open people's eyes? Well, I really enjoyed art as, as a young person. As an Indian, you know, I was kind of excluded from the pop culture. My parents were, were very traditional in, in many ways, and we spent a lot of time in museums and, and art galleries. And so I wanted to engage with the world. And so that was what drove me to want to be a photographer and a filmmaker. And the stories, you know, that was really what excited me. It was was also those stories that I carried with me that my family brought from India that kept me connected and and made me think about the mythologies that we were creating and how, how you know, how, how does those stories change when you're in a different world? And that was part of the, the process for me. And what about what's going on in India now in terms of, I mean, you must have seen poverty when you were there, uh, devastation. It's, it's a, a joyous country in many ways, and yet it, it's also besieged by uh, one thing after another, including now, the, or most recently, the COVID outbreak. Yes, absolutely. So I, I went back to India as soon as I could as a teenager, and I started a, a school there, a foundation for women and children. Um, which Out I, of your house, right? Out of my house, that's right, and uh, with my father. Uh, I, I wanted to start it on my own, and then I realized just how challenging it was. So I got him to come out of, of retirement in Canada, and, uh, and he helped— uh, and then took really took the, the all the the difficult part, which is running the operations on the ground. Um, so that's been my connection uh, to the world uh, of you know those the opposite side of the world, the, the place where people are so much in in need. And and I do everything I can, but with COVID, it's just been tremendously difficult. And so I'm I'm actually working on a big fundraiser um, and doing an exhibition and and a musical series, a multimedia series. And that's through the Shakti Empowerment Education Foundation? That's right. That's right. Uh, that's the foundation that, that we co-founded and that I've been executive director for for all these years. And it seems to me that there's a there's this, I don't know if it's a tension, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can shed some light on this, that these operations that do so much good in the world, they are operations. Like, I don't know how big Mother Teresa's operation was. Like, how many people? She had hundreds of people or— her operation started very small and it grew very large. Uh, so it depends. But it's, on it the becomes trip. a lot. To, it becomes a job in itself Absolutely. to just manage the, not even the doing good part, which is significant, but then making sure that people are in the right place. It organizes something like that. It seems like a huge challenge. Absolutely, and running a foundation is very complicated. I, I've been very fortunate uh, having my father and you know having people around us that uh, that 
he's grown up with, so people that we know that we can trust. But it, it is it is a very complex uh, thing to do, and and we've had a lot of resistance from local politicians and um, you know, local land mafias that have tried to to you know, create problems. So um, so it's not a, a straightforward process. But um, I have to say the rewards are incredible. It's been the, the best thing I've ever done, and it's it's where my greatest joy is seeing these children and the women whose lives are can be transformed so quickly. You know, given just literacy training, vocational training, and, and microfinancing, just a, a few dollars can transform a life. Is it still way, way, way difficult to be a, a woman in India? It is. It is. Uh, it, it, it's very challenging, especially for for people who are of the lowest economic um, levels. It is a very, very difficult world. What about applying that to the world of film? Is it challenging to be a woman in film today? It is, absolutely. You know, the numbers haven't really shifted since the 60s. It's less than 10% of, of directors are women of films. And uh, same, I think, in the photography industry, in the art world, museums around the world show most 90% uh, white male art. So um, so it's not very different. In Sorry, fact. <laughs> every white guy sitting with you. We apologize. Well, I have nothing against white men. In fact, I think they do wonderful things. But, uh, but I do think that it's important that we get to see through other lenses. And I think everyone uh, has so much to learn and, and to enjoy as well from those varied perspectives. So what, but one of your mentors was David Bowie. Uh, which I find fascinating. I, how did you meet him, and how was he? How did he bring you into the fold? It was really quite a surprise for me because I, I started doing my photography very young, at fifteen years old, and then by the time I was nineteen or twenty uh, in college. Uh, I was pub- in this country. You're here yes, now. Yes, yes. Right. I, I went to Princeton, and I published some of my early works in some cool underground London magazines, and they were crazy works. So I was experimenting with post-production, putting people on other planets, you know, nudes of women with very crazy colors, turning them into aliens and things like that. And uh, we got a call at the studio one day, and it was David Bowie, and he. That's me, <laughs> looking at your work. <laughs> we thought it was a joke. Uh, it turned out that he was being the, he was the creative director for Iman's book, uh, I Am Iman, which was her career retrospective. And they had shot the cover with two of the top photographers of the time um, and rejected both of them. And who this, shall be named in this podcast or who named, shall not be no. named? Right. I, I, won't, I won't name names. But, um, but it was an extraordinary opportunity because they decided they wanted someone new and they'd seen the work in this underground magazine, and they said, let's give it a try. So, uh, so a lot of lot of pressure on that shoot, and uh, David Bowie was there, and we had a wonderful time talking about the meaning of life and all kinds of wonderful stuff. And we did a really extraordinary shoot. And he said at the end of it, he said, "I'm I'm working on an album, and so you know maybe I'll I'll give you a call when it's done. Maybe we can do the cover for it." Great. And you're still in college, and you're yes, getting this yes, call. Yes, yes. And did he talk about what they didn't like about the Richard Avedon photograph? <laughs> it, it wasn't Richard Avedon. Did they mention why Herb Ritz wasn't the, really the right guy for it? You know, they, 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 wanted, they wanted something new, and she had been seen the same way for, you know, a 
quite a while. And, and this book was very experimental. They had multiple narratives, which is something that I find really exciting myself and I, and I like to explore as well in my work. And then this began a relationship with yes. Iman and David Bowie That's that right. went until his passing. And That's right. That's right. He, he launched my photography career with, with the cover of, of his album, Heathen, and then my directing career as well with a music video called Valentine's Day, which is about a high school mass shooter. So a very dark but uh, fascinating subject. This is so intriguing to me, the idea of synthesizing art forms. You have been tasked with building visual language for for audio art. Can you tell me your process in creating a definitive album cover, knowing that it's got to encapsulate several moods throughout an album? Well, it's a really exciting process crossing through different art forms. And I think that there's so much that relates to the way you feel uh, in, in an image that is very similar to music. But uh, obviously, it's a very different space. So for me, I begin with a deep exploration into the character of the, the person, not necessarily their work, because that often is their past, but I'm really interested in where they're going. And so I love to talk to, to my subjects. I, I don't like to think of them as subjects, really, because that's objectifying, but uh, ultimately we have to put a lens on them. Um, but I love to connect. And for me, it's about finding that div- divine spark, uh, you know, what makes them unique, what what they feel is their purpose in, in being in this planet. Do you have systems in place to overcome obstacles in collaboration? You're clearly working with egos. Artists are egos and Creatives have opinions. <laughs> well, a lot of artists work from a place of ego, and it's there's this fighting of egos. My ego is bigger than yours. You're going to do what I tell you. And that's not how I operate. I, I like to let the person be fully themselves. So even in a scripted project where they have to become a different character entirely, it's always the most exciting when they're connecting on a deep level with something true about who they actually are. And I think helping people to find pieces of others in themselves and those relationships is, is really exciting. But David's right. A Beyonce is only going to give you 10 minutes, let's say, right? I mean, they can be on very limited time schedules. Some of them. With Beyonce, I had unlimited amounts of time. It was, it was a really exciting process because she was still figuring out who she was going to be. So that was really... So no diva behavior, no... Uh... She was delightful and and actually ended up wearing a pair of jeans from from a man because she, you know, we were playing with the, the outfits and saying, well, what if we did this? And what if we made it just you know more like how you really are instead of this this diva outfit? And, and that ultimately became the image that we chose. It's so interesting that, that sort of the biggest stars, these talents that are, not because they're big stars, but because they're immense talents, Beyonce, David Bowie, these people where they're so assured in their talent, they're so assured in their gift that they're able to sink into that moment and sort of search and be vulnerable. Yes, I think that's the most important part of any artist's journey is letting go and and allowing themselves to to find something true and something deeper than they've ever experienced before. Those are the moments of transcendence. And you see that on the screen. You feel it. You know, it's just like when I'm talking to you and I realize something and you see that spark of connection, that's something that transcends What in meaning. God's name would you realize looking at him? <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the, when you talk about divine spark, it makes me, it seems like there's this thread of the sacred that sort of runs through so much of your life, your work, and all these other things. Um, can you talk a little bit about, there seems to be many different sort of avenues of this. Mother Teresa's one. I think your stepfather was a Rastafarian. That's right. There's, you know, um, and then David Bowie, very existential and very sort of, 
um, humanist in his in his viewpoint. Any thoughts on that that kind of common thread? Yes, uh, it, it is a very important thread for me, and I actually I'm a clubhouse. Uh, creator first, and I have a room called Sacred Realms. So, okay. um, so it is very. I think that the sacred is what inspires artists. It ins- inspires all of us in some way, whatever we want to call it. But I think there is something beyond our everyday experience that art allows you to connect with. And um, I, I do believe that each of us has some greater purpose than just the the physical things that we're able to do in our life. So so that's that's what I'm always trying to find, and and it's not an easy journey. But for, for me personally— Well, you're looking everywhere. You're doing everything. <laughs> yes. You're leaving no stone unturned in this search. That's that's true. Um, well, I grew up in India, and, uh, and, and my parents raised me with every religion. They made a big effort to take me to the church, to the, each temple, to the mosque, and to try to understand through different eyes— that journey. So so that was a great blessing for me. And and I personally have pursued a path of meditation and uh, of Vedanta, which is the the core of Hinduism, which allows for all paths to be correct and and valid ways of of gaining wisdom. We have a path too. It's going to a break right now. But when (laughs) we return, we're going to hear about Beyonce and working with her. And uh, let's see if she'll dish any dirt about, I I doubt it when we couldn't get that photographer's name out of her, but uh, Indrani joins us uh, after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com and discover our legacy collection. Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Welcome back. We're talking to Andrani, a woman who has done seemingly everything. What isn't on the list? Is there one thing you haven't done that you still want to do? I want to be Prime Minister of India. Really? Okay. (laughs) You're launching that Campaign right here? <laughs> no. Right. I, I had a vision. Uh, no, I, I, I do want to have a, a powerful impact on the world. I want to make things better. That's that's all I really care about is is really leaving a, a, a legacy of inspiration. As a storyteller across so many different types of media, do you feel a responsibility to change the world, to use your voice as a means to elicit change? What a great question. I do. I feel that, that as an artist— one has tremendous power to influence. And I feel that if one doesn't use that for making the world better, then you're contributing to the problems. And uh, and I think we we rarely talk about responsibility in our culture, but I think that that's a huge one. And artists, filmmakers, and those who support them, uh, the investors, the the corporate clients, the, the luxury brands who have the resources to help um, really should. You mentioned luxury brands, so I would love to talk about your work with United Nations. Actually, what brought you to work with United Nations? And then can you tell us a little bit about how fashion factored in? The ultimate luxury brand. (laughs) United Nations, the ultimate luxury brand. It really is. Uh, You know, I I wanted to – I worked with a lot of different nonprofits. So I started my own one, but then I worked with many other much bigger ones all around the world in Africa and India and here – and I felt the need to bring people together because there are so many wonderful people working in their own little silos. And 
wanting to find those economies of scale that, you know, in the corporate, in the commercial world, um, brands, you know, they aggregate resources. And, and I wanted to do that with people for, for social justice. And so the UN seemed the logical place to do that. Um, and I, I found all kinds of wonderful people there. I worked on many different projects. One of them was the, the World Fashion Forum, uh, which, which I helped to organize. And it was, a, it was my very first event at the UN that I, that I had a, a, an important role in. And I was so excited by the potential of bringing together luxury brands around some of the issues that really they could do much better with, um, such as you know, the labor chain issues of, of slavery and, uh, and, and living wages and, of course, pollution issues. That fashion is one of the largest polluters in the world. And, um, and I was disappointed that we weren't able to take those ideas further and really create the allegiances that are needed to make these things happen. And real inroads you felt like were made because I feel like the UN is just another political body of people that will smile and nod and go, that's, yeah, we'd love to make a difference, but then did anything happen? Well, it's a wonderful place for conversations. And so there were really tremendous conversations. And, and I'm sure that over time, those will have an effect. But, uh, but I'd like to see that accelerated if possible. It seems like you've done, you've used storytelling in a lot of sort of interesting ways, whether that's through still photography or filmmaking and other things. And I saw that you have lectured on the topic of, uh, I'm just going to read it so I get it right, counter-colonizing heteropatriarchal gaze That's right. using storytelling. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? G-A-Z-E, correct? Yeah, yes. Okay. Well, no, I just want to be clear. The male gaze. <laughs> yeah, okay. Wave. Yes, I think that the, the heteropatriarchal gaze has been so normalized in our culture that men, women of all ethnicities are, so, are used to seeing the world and themselves through a very narrow lens. And I'm all about broadening that, allowing for other perspectives to help us to gain pers perspective. Uh, you know, you can't have perspective when you see through one eye only. So um, having women storytellers is essential. Having women with experiences of different cultures, the immigrant stories, um, the LGBTQ stories, these are essential not just because of the idea of representation and fairness, but in order for us to grow as a species, you know, we need to be in touch with the the ways that that the world is from other points of view. And, and I think each of us can find great joy as well as as wisdom from those other points of view. And it seems like story as a medium is there, you know, it, telling someone something is one thing. You should have a different perspective because this and this and this are true, but story seems to have a unique sort of power to convince or change minds. Absolutely. I believe that uh, that filmmakers and artists are the myth makers of our times. It used to be the writers who had that role, and before that it was this, the oral traditions, the, the singers, and of course many different art forms cross over. But particularly the, the world of film and, and television has a, an enormous impact. So I've been fortunate to be a visiting lecturer at Princeton talking about these issues, and, and I'm excited to explore them more deeply. In your exploration and your immersion of these deep subjects that are often painful, domestic abuse, poverty, pollution, how do you maintain optimism as a maker? You know, that's a great question. I was working on a... a project on trafficking of children, which has got to be one of the hardest to deal with. And I spent time interviewing young people who had been 
through the most appalling losses of uh, of humanity that one could experience. And the thing that that really struck me was that coming out of of such a dark place, they were able to find joy again. And if they can do it, then for me as a as a storyteller, it's my responsibility to help bring that joy into their world. So I think a lot of people try to stay away from things that make them uncomfortable. And uh, really, there's so much that we can do by engaging, but engaging respectfully. And, and a lot of filmmakers don't necessarily understand that part of the responsibility, that probing questions and getting someone to cry on camera may win you a, an Oscar, but it's it's not necessarily going to be good for that person. So. Well, now, wait a minute. If you're feeling like you could tear up now, it wouldn't be uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad thing for our promo. Um, we, we, I teased about Beyonce. We'll get that in a second. But you clearly walk the walk. There's no question about it. And I wonder if it annoys you to see so many other celebrities and filmmakers and photographers or whoever they are that kind of pretend to that have their name at the top of a letterhead when a, when somebody's trying to raise some money. And yeah, maybe that can do some good. But there are a whole lot of people out there who show up at a red carpet, get their picture taken, and then just leave immediately. How annoying is that? I don't find it annoying at all. I think every little bit that someone can do is 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 something wonderful. And that Sometimes all it takes is that celebrity to show up and shake someone's hand for five minutes, and then they might donate a million dollars. So that might be more worthwhile than years of, of going door to door collecting. You know, so I, I think that each of us are blessed with different abilities, different uh, powers, uh, if you will. Celebrities have the power to influence, and so I, I have great respect for those who give even a, a minute of their time because it can have a huge impact. There's a lot of Mother Teresa in you. There really <laughs> is. You're very kind to a lot of people. Who, I, look, uh, let's talk about Beyonce because uh, I assume she didn't see uh, some work in a London Underground newspaper. Uh, wh- how did you come to work with her? Well, I actually worked with her when she was part of Destiny's Child initially. Um, and then, again, a very similar story. She she was doing her solo debut album cover and had shot it with two of the top photographers of the time, and both were rejected. One of them poured uh, poured fake blood all over her without her planning or honey. I can't remember. Some kind of Now, why would substance. Dave LaChapelle do something like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, in any case, um, I was very fortunate to, to get to explore with her who she might become. And uh, and that was really a transformative shoot for both her and myself. And one thing that people don't realize, and I didn't realize actually until a few years later when I had her picture up on, on a wall next to a statue, is just how much my, my childhood uh, influence that image because uh, there's a there's an image of the Shiva, the dan- dancing Nataraj, um, which is very similar to that pose. And it, it just happened spontaneously. She was dancing and we were capturing all kinds of different movements. But that moment where she absolutely lined up with this statue that is beloved by millions of people in the world of the god of dance. Wow. <laughs> uh, who haven't you worked with that you'd like to? Oh, there's lots of people. I'm really interested in, in politicians. Um, there are many of those who would be fun to shoot. But uh, yeah. Well, as Prime Minister of India, everyone will take your phone call. <laughs> he would be interesting. Absolutely. You worked with analog photography, I assume, when you started out? 
and then you made the transition to digital. How was that transition for you, and do you feel like there's differences between those media? I transitioned very early on. I was experimenting with some of the very first uh, ways of capturing medium format. Pixels is about this big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was really exciting because uh, that there were so many more possibilities opened up with the digital world. And then in the film world, I faced the same thing, where people are still holding on to the old film ways and then switching over to digital. Uh, I. For me, I love the transformative power of digital. My work is all about transformation. So for me, that um, being able to go in and, and tweak things much more is very exciting. Well, actors, pardon me, but actors love more than eight-minute loads, too, where <laughs> yes. they can have like a chance to go on and on and let's do another and let's do another and let's do another. And, and that's how I do my photography and my filmmaking. I like to let, let the flow happen. I think that that uh, I try to minimize myself as much as possible and let them just be. <laughs> hey, speaking of letting go, we can't let you go without talking about some of the uh, film projects you have coming up. What are you working on? Yes, um, I'm working on some beautiful stories. A, a story of Bessie Coleman, who was the first African-American and indigenous uh, female pilot in the 1920s. And she transcended such terrible challenges of not being able to learn to fly as, as a, both a woman and a black person. Uh, and she... Saved up, got friends all around her, became the best manicurist ever because that's the only job she could get. But it was a way to connect with people and went to France and returned as a pilot, showing people that a woman of color can do anything. How did Amelia Earhart get all the press? She was after her. So She was? Yeah, Bessie Coleman was before Amelia oh, wow. Earhart. Oh, that's, and do we know who's going to play Bessie Coleman? Well, that's that's all under wraps at the moment. <laughs> okay. We'll let you know. <laughs> but but Halle Berry is going to play her mom. Oh, oh congratulations! Wow, wow. congratulations! That's exciting. Yeah. What's the What's the next thing you're that's coming up that oh, you're working so, on? So it's 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 going to be in in L. A. Oh, I'm sorry, it's in L. A. So yes, um, and not Louisiana, no, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and so who's who's going to be involved with that? And what's that called? Well, it's it's, it's going to be called Shakti L. A. And it's it's a fundraiser for Shakti Empowerment Education Foundation, and we will have some wonderful artists that are. It'll be a surprise, um, but we'll we'll let people know as you get closer to the dates. We're hoping to have some of the wonderful people that I've worked with uh, come and, and share some more of their perspective. Well, you everyone must answer your phone call because you've worked with some of the most amazing people and now us. So thank you very much <laughs> for joining us on the Accutron Show. Thank you. It's It's been such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.